0: Our passage for today is Joshua chapter 1. are we'll looking in Joshua chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with us today, I would uh, love for you to follow along anyway. I'm reading out of the Pew Bible that is right in front of you if you're sitting on the floor, and if you're up in the balcony, it is underneath you. Joshua chapter 1 is on page 184 in the Pew Bibles, so page 184. Joshua chapter 1. Uh, We have just finished reading through 2 Thessalonians together, so if you missed any of those, you can go back and listen to the audio. But now we're going to begin for a few weeks reading Joshua. I really enjoy a good pre-battle pep talk. Throughout history, there's been all kinds of great speeches given on the battlefield before different commanders before different armies go out to fight wars. This is a long-time practice and has been going on, I suppose, since there have been battles that the commander of the army must stand before his soldiers and encourage them to do what they're supposed to do that day. I have some notable historical ones for you. First, going chronologically, Hannibal, Hannibal addressed his troops after crossing the Alps in 218 BC. It says, On the right and left, two seas enclose you without your possessing even a single ship for escape. The river Po is around you, the Alps behind him you in. Her soldiers, where you have first met the enemy, you must conquer or die. The same fortune which has imposed the necessity of fighting holds out to you, if victorious. Rewards then which men are not wont to desire greater even from the immortal gods?" Queen Elizabeth I, in support of her military, her navy going to fight against the Spanish Armada, wrote and said, "'I am amongst you at this time. Not as for my recreation or my sport, but being resolved in the midst of the heat of battle to live or die amongst you. To lay down for my God, for my kingdom, for my people, both my honor and blood. Famously, Shakespeare wrote the Crispin Day speech in Henry V, Act 4, Scene 3 about King Henry at the Battle of Agincourt in 1415. He that hath no stomach for this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made and crowns for convoy put into his purse. I will not die with that man who fears his fellowship to die with me. He that outlives this day and comes home safely will stand a tiptoe when this day is named, and he will be roused at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on this vigil invite his neighbors to feast and say, tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then he will shed his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I bore upon St. Crispin's day. Old men forget, and all will be forgotten. But he will remember with advantage the feats he did that day. From this day until the end of the world, and we in it, we shall remember. We happy few, we few, we band of brothers, for he today that shed his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ever so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And the gentlemen now abed in England shall think themselves a curse that they were not here, and they will hold their manhood cheap whilst any speak that talk with us who fought upon St. Crispin's Day." About something from America. President Abraham Lincoln, speaking to the 166th Ohio Regiment in 1864, thanked them, saying, For the service that you have done in this great struggle in which we are engaged, I present you sincere thanks from myself and from the country. I almost always feel inclined. When I happen to say anything to soldiers to impress upon them in a few brief remarks the importance of success in this contest, uh, contest. it is not merely for today but for all time to come that we should perpetuate for our children's children this great and free government which we have enjoyed all our lives. I beg you to remember this, not merely for my sake, but for yours, the nation is worth fighting for to secure such an inestimable jewel. And finally, I, I assume it didn't pass your notice that this past Thursday was Texas Independence Day. <laughs> we, we proud Texans were celebrating on March 2nd how the brave Texans fought against the tyrant santa ana and won their independence at the battle of san jacinto but before then a letter came out of bear county on february 24 1836 from the alamo commander william barrett travis he wrote to the people of texas and to all americans in the world fellow citizens and compatriots i am besieged by thousands or more, of Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and a cannonade for 24 hours, and I have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion, otherwise the garrisons are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered that demand with a cannon shot. Our flag still waves proudly from the walls, I shall never surrender or retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism, of everything dear to the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and to die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country." victory or death, William Barrett Travis, who was born in Saluda, South Carolina. What we have today in Scripture is the military speech given to the people of Israel as they are to enter the promised land. What we have in Scripture today is God speaking to Joshua and Joshua speaking to the people to tell them the story about what is about to happen on this day when they, a bunch of former slaves, are going to go in and receive the land that God has promised to them, though the people occupying the land have terrified them. The people occupying the land frightened them so badly that they would not enter the promised land or even try it and had to wander in the wilderness until a generation passed. And now again... The promise is reiterated from God to Joshua and to the people that He is going to protect them. As you think about these famous military speeches, some more inspirational than others, surely, think about what is on the line, what is at stake, and what is called for from those who are going to fight. Let us think about these things as we read the calling of God today. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, "'After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, "'Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses.' Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night, so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, "'Go to the camp and tell the people, "'Get provisions ready for yourselves. "'Within three days, we will be crossing the Jordan "'to go in and take possession of the land "'the Lord your God has given you to inherit.'" Joshua said to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, "'Remember what Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you "'when he said, "'The Lord your God will give you rest. "'He will give you this land.'" Your wives, dependents, and livestock, they may remain in the land Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but your best soldiers must cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers to help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he has given you, and they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. You may then return to the land of your inheritance and take possession of what Moses the Lord's servant gave you on the east side of the Jordan. They answered Joshua. Everything you have commanded us, we will do. Everywhere you send us, we will go. We will obey you, just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Certainly the Lord your God will be with you, as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order does not rebel against your words and all that you commanded him, will be put to death. Above all, be strong and and courageous. This is the word of the Lord for us today. The book of Joshua, the whole of it, fits into Scripture like this. The first five books of the Bible are called the book of Moses. They're about Moses and written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They tell about how God created the world, created everything in it, how sin entered the world, but God's answer to sin was to call a man, Abraham, make him into a great nation, promise him that his children would inherit this particular piece of land, and that all nations and all people would be blessed through his descendants. God is promising a fix for sin from the beginning, and he's kept his promises all along, he even promised that Israel was going to go into captivity in Egypt before it happened it happened and he brought them out and he brought them through the wilderness he gave them the law through Moses and now we have Joshua in which they are going to take the land and start to inhabit it the purpose of the book of Joshua is this the whole book very simple it's that god keeps his promise will israel keep theirs That's what Joshua is about, from beginning to end. God says, I'm going to keep my promises. No one is even going to bother you as you go in and conquer the land. We are, in the next few weeks, going to talk about Joshua and the battle of Jericho and all sorts of other incredible battles that happen. The purpose of all of it is that God absolutely keeps his promises. God made a promise to Abraham, and now he is going to fulfill it and give them every inch of land they are supposed to receive. And it will just leave us with the question, what did the Israelites do? Did they keep their side of the promise? So this is a military hype speech, if you will. This is the pre-battle encouragement to the people to go in and do it. There's a phrase repeated over and over again. And what phrase is that? Be strong and courageous. Repeat it again and again. Hey, be strong and courageous. If you didn't hear that, by the way, be strong and courageous. You didn't hear that? Be strong and courageous. But even more, there's a promise given. And it's more powerful than any speech ever given. It's more powerful than any other words spoken to inspire soldiers. The promise given is this: I will be with you. Honestly, if you have that one from God, you've got everything you need. If God says, I'm with you, it's okay. That's the end of it. All you needed in the speech was. I'm with you, and then we're good to go then. Whatever it is you want us to do, whatever battle, whatever place, whatever odds, if you are with us, we're good to go. Everything will be fine. And they have this promise from God, I will be with you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. It's verse 5. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Israel has everything they need because they have God with them. It is worth us thinking ahead in time to when Israel does not have God with them any longer. It's worth us thinking, given how important this is, that what they hear before they go to conquer the land, meek as they are, that what they hear is, I am with you, and I will be with you. It's important for us to jump ahead To when the presence of God leaves the temple in the Old Testament, after they have conquered the land, after the time of Judges, after the time kings have come, after Israel is split into two nations, Israel and Judah, after prophet, after prophet, after prophet has come to them and said, you're not keeping your end of the bargain, you're not keeping the covenant, when finally the nation of Israel is completely destroyed and the temple destroyed and the presence of God is gone from the people. It's worth looking forward to that time, to when the prophet Jeremiah cries out in Lamentation, the book of Lamentation grieving over the fall of Jerusalem, the final outhold for Israel, the city Jerusalem. He grieves over it, and then an open-ended question at the end of the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah ends it by saying, God, have have you forsaken us forever? He ends Lamentations by saying, God, come and save us, come and restore us, come and be our God, unless you're done with us this time for good. Are you? This question that comes out at the end of the lament, is God done with Israel finally? It's worth remembering, Psalm 137, written, after the people of Israel are taken away from the presence of God and taken away from the land and now slaves far away in Babylon They So far away from this promise, I will be with you. When they don't keep their end of it, they are later grieving as slaves again, just like they were in Egypt, but now in Babylon. And they cry out, Psalm 137, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. There we hung up our harps on the trees. For our captors there asked us to sing songs of our tormentors for rejoicing. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song when we are on foreign soil? Psalm 137, they are broken. They deserved it. They turned away from God. God sent them off into slavery in Babylon and there their slavers and captors tormented them saying, sing us a happy song, do a little dance for us. They say, how can we sing? We're away from God, we're away from the presence of God, we're away from the land that he gave us. We have lost everything because we have lost God. But it is also worth remembering that even though they are unfaithful, and they don't keep their side of the agreement, God is still faithful. God had promised that someday there would be a descendant from Abraham, somebody who was worthy to rule over God's people, somebody who was worthy to fulfill all of God's plans. If the book of Joshua is telling the story about how God keeps His promise to the Israelites, but the Israelites do not keep their promises, they made some promises here, They're not going to keep them in the rest of the book. They don't keep their promises, but God does. The next thing that happens is the time of judges where they don't keep their promises. And then it's the kings where they're hoping some good ruler will rule over them. It's not Saul. It's not even David. It's not Solomon, as wise as he is. There was never anybody who could fulfill the call of God until you get to the very end of the Bible And you read in Revelation 5, John the Apostle, looking and seeing heaven in this revelation, says, I saw the right hand of the one seated on the throne with a scroll, with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? The scroll is the plans of God. It's the Word of God and His commands, His call. So, this scroll is held up to say, okay, who can keep it? Who can fulfill God's Word? Who can fulfill God's plan? And then John says, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or, or even to look into it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look into it. But then one of the elders before the throne said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he may be able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and amongst the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. God keeps all of his promises. And even though Israel is faithless, God keeps Israel's side of the promises for them. And God has kept our side of the promises for us as well. God keeps His promise, and His promise is that He is a good God who is loving and is going to restore all things. His promise to us is that though our sins are great and the wrath we deserve is great, yet His compassion on us is even greater. The promise to us from God is that he wants us to be saved. There's nobody, there's nobody who's worthy enough to fulfill what God wants on our behalf, except God himself, Jesus Christ, who is worthy to fulfill the plans of God and has fulfilled the plans of God on our behalf. Joshua is all about God keeping His promises. You're going to see as we read through this book, at no point does God let Israel down at all. Now God has not made a promise to you like He has Israel. God promised Israel a certain piece of land that was their inheritance. You, if, if not a member of Israel, you don't have a land promise. But God has made certain promises to you as well. So what has God promised to us, this God who keeps his promises? This is what God has promised you. Hebrews 13, keep your life free of the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, even though we don't have the promises of Israel, we have the same promises because we have the same God. And the promise is given over to us as well. This one, I will never leave you or abandon you. Dear friends, today you and I can say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can a man do to me? Because God has promised to you and I as well that he will never leave us nor forsake us. There will be times in your life When you don't feel like God is near. There will be times in your life when it feels like God is very far away, but I have great news for you. We don't live by how we feel, we live by the promises of God. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. However you feel today, He has not left you. He will not forsake you. The Lord is near to you, drawing you closer to Him even right now. What has God promised to us? He's promised this, Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. What has God promised today? But this in Romans 10: Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is too good to be true, but it's true. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, even you, even me. What has God promised us? Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. If you are in Christ, then we live in the grace of God every day by faith in Jesus Christ, who has given us peace with God. What has God promised us? Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The book of Joshua is about how God always keeps his promises. You have an amazing set of promises before you today from this God. Some of you have known this for a long time, and it is your joy to come and praise him, and it is your joy to come and lay your life before him. And some of you are hearing about this for the first time, you who are hearing this for the first time, the God who created everything has an incredible set of promises for you. All those who come to them, him, he will not lose one. And everyone who cries out to him, Jesus is Lord, will be saved. God keeps his promises, so what are you going to do? be strong and courageous. (laughs) If if this God is keeping His promises that He's already made, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do with your life from now on? Be strong and courageous. But it is important to point out from this passage, what exactly are you supposed to be strong and courageous about? What does it mean to be strong and courageous in your situation? You, I see you today, you are not armed for battle, you're not ready to go into war, and that's not what God has called you to. So, what are you supposed to be strong and courageous about? Listen, verse 7. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses has commanded you. It takes courage and it takes bravery to go into battle. Let me tell you, it takes courage and it takes bravery to obey the Lord. Dear friends, the call from God to you today is this: First, whatever sin there is in your life, repent of it. Just be done with it today. Turn from it. Make a commitment now. Say, "I know this sin is still in my life, but not again." And now, hey, be encouraged. Be strong and courageous. Don't hang your head. Trust Him. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous, and keep all the commandments that He has given you. This God is with you, and is for you. He is going to keep his promises. Uh, There is a musical group called the Seed Family Worship you're familiar with. I love Seed Family Worship. Seed like S-E-E-D, just like a seed in the ground. And it's children's music, ostensibly, but I listen to it when my kids aren't in the car quite a bit. And there's a, uh, there's a song called, you guessed it, Be Strong and Courageous. It's Joshua 1.6. And my kids know this song, and we sing this song again and again. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. I recommend this song to you. Look it up. It's on YouTube and Spotify. But what are you supposed to be strong and courageous for? To keep the Lord's commandments. To obey Him and follow Him. If his commandment is this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to be obedient to everything I commanded, well, then it means other people aren't your enemy that you have to be strong and courageous against. Rather, if you want to use a battle metaphor, the other people are the battlefield we are trying to gain ground over. If the command that He's called you to do is go and make disciples of all nations, and if a disciple is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and being taught to obey everything God commanded, then be strong and courageous and go make disciples. And don't let anything slow you down. This is what God has called you to. It's very different than what other people think about being strong and courageous. Surely there are some people out there who think being strong and courageous means being a bully and being a jerk to people around you. if somebody offends you you get loud (laughs) if somebody offends you then you straighten up your shoulders and you go back after them that is not what it means to be strong and courageous he has called you to be strong and courageous and to keep his commands not to attack other people listen to how he says it to the 12 when jesus sends the 12 disciples out in matthew chapter 10 jesus says this look i'm sending you out as sheep among wolves this hasn't changed for us either he says, therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as innocent as dove. Beware of them, because they will hand you over to the local courts and flog you in the synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of, because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how you are to speak. You will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Therefore, don't be afraid of them. Be strong and courageous. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who can kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who is able to destroy the body and the soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without the Father's consent." But even the hairs of your head have all been counted, so don't be afraid. You're worth much more than sparrows." You know, the way Jesus frames it here, the choice is really, when it comes to being strong and courageous, are you going to fear them or are you going to fear Him? And to be sure, many, many brothers and sisters in Christ have been put in this situation regularly, and perhaps you have too, or someone tells you to do something that is against what God has commanded you to do, and you have to make a quick calculation in your mind, and whether you knew it or not, the calculation you're making is, am I going to be afraid of this person and do what they say because I don't want to lose my job or at least get a pay bump or I don't want anything bad to happen, so I kind of want to do what this person's telling me to do. But also God's told me to do some things do you fear the Lord and keep his commands, or do you fear this person? And Jesus says it awfully powerfully here. Jesus says, what's the worst they're going to do to you? Kill you? Yes, that is. that is. But Jesus says, don't be afraid of them. Jesus, who conquered the grave and is bringing resurrection for all people, he says, you don't have to be afraid about death anymore. I've already conquered it. And, and everybody who dies in Christ will be risen, uh, will rise eternally. But rather, fear the Lord. Who is over the body and soul, both. Dear friends, be strong and courageous. God's desire, I know that sounds bold, but it, the passage ends this way Don't be afraid. You are worth more to God than small things. God's not cheering against you, and God's not even sitting back impassively saying, Well, what are you going to do? God loves you and desires your salvation, He wants you to obey His commands. He's looking for you to do it. And when you failed in the past, He has already made forgiveness for all of your sins. Come to the Lord now. Be strong and courageous. He is with you, and you can keep His commandments today. Finally, verse 16. There's some talk here in verse 10 to 15 uh, about the divisions of the land. They, are, they have come out of Egypt on the one side, and they've looped around to the far side where some of them have inheritance, but not all of them. Everybody else's inheritance is on the other side of Jordan. So you kind of got to think about how they curved around to the far side. He just says to those who have inheritances on the far side, you've got to go and help your brothers also get their land too, and then you can come back and enjoy yours. That's what that passage is about. What I want to read to you in conclusion is this, verse 16, their response. Here, here's what they say. Everything you have commanded us, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. Just remember that. Hold on to that one for the next several weeks and see if it's true. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses in everything. Take a moment and think back to the last five books of the Bible. Did they obey Moses in everything? Certainly the, word, certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your order does not obey your words at all that you have commanded him, will be put to death. Above all, be strong and courageous. They tell themselves that. The purpose of this book is to demonstrate that God keeps all his promises and Israel utterly fails to keep their side. But we are not here to beat up on Israel. We are no better and would have done no better. No better. We're not here to say, well, they didn't keep God's promises. We're done with them. Forget about them. Look how much better we're doing at keeping God's promises. First of all, we're still sinners. Second of all, we do have the Holy Spirit empowering us, but we still struggle with sin ourselves. People fail. The Israelites failed. There is nobody who is worthy to fulfill the plans of God except Jesus Christ himself people fail. And I suppose it's worth us talking about briefly, how do we deal with people who we love and trust and care about who fail? You know, there's been plenty of talk about what we do with statues and heroes from the past who did something good and did other things wrong. And this is a really good conversation to have, because after all, Surely, not everybody who's had a statue put up is worth having a statue put up about, and surely some statues were put up in mean and vile ways and for mean and vile purposes. We can go on a statue-by-statue basis, I'm sure, but that's just an illustration. Really, the question is about the statues in your heart, your heroes. People fail, and God does not really the last thing I want to tell you today is you need to find people who you can imitate in the faith, but you don't put your faith in them. All too often it has happened that when some famous pastor falls from grace or it has demonstrated that they were sinning for a long time, many people who came to trust Christ through that pastor's ministry are utterly devastated and start questioning their own faith as if their faith was in that person rather than in Jesus Christ. It should not be so. We, when we look at people around us, Paul, the apostle, even said, hey, to a church, he said, hey, imitate me. I want you to try to do this like I'm doing it. And you need to find people you can imitate in the faith. You need to find some people who are further on down the road than you, who you can learn from. You need to learn from the brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you right now. But when we're talking about other people. We take the good and we pitch the bad. We know that we're all sinners, but we also know that amongst the saints, we are sinners who are saved by grace. Imitate what you can that is good and put away what you can't, but then set as your primary object for imitation Jesus Christ Himself. He will never let you down. We all have people we admire in it. We all have pastors who we look up to. We all have friends in the faith. We all know some senior saints who we love to hear from. We all have in our lives, I hope you have in your life, some sweet older church lady who is a constant encouragement and who you say, man, I want to have a faith like hers. Some of us were able to have excellent fathers. I was. I am. still not perfect. And as I strive to be an excellent father to my children, they will see me fail as well. So the best thing that we can do is to point each other towards Jesus Christ. Teach each other and our children how to apologize. Teach them what repentance looks like by showing them I was wrong, I'm not going to do that again. But more than anything, take what you can from the people around you, and when you see sin, push it aside and ignore it. Set up for yourself godly people who you can imitate, but as the primary person you imitate, look to Jesus Christ, our Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. Dear friends, God has kept every one of his promises to you. God has given some incredible promises to you put your trust in Christ, and then begin a life imitating Jesus Christ as Lord. Father God, I thank you so much that you are so kind to us. I pray that you would draw us ever closer to you. I pray that you would put your Spirit on us to help us to be strong and to be courageous and to obey all that you've commanded. Father, I pray that when you speak, we would listen, and we would believe, and we would obey. And this I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing uh, worship to Christ. I think every sermon needs to be